0: You'll have to excuse my croaky throat. Um, So, as Tim said, we're probably all aware that we're in the middle of this series, and today we're going to start by thinking about the discipline of celebration. So when I say the word celebration, I wonder what comes to mind for you. Is this on okay, by the way? I've never used a Britney mic before, so this is very exciting. Your heart may leap with joy when I say celebration, or you may be silently shuddering. We may think of big gatherings, the music, the feasting, the dancing, or the quiet meal, the beauty of serenity, the enjoyment of something simple. We're thinking about practicing celebration as a means of knowing God more and better following Jesus. The form that celebration takes can and should vary. We're to be creative in how we respond to God's goodness to us. So in this context, Dallas Willard says, Celebration means dwelling on the greatness of God as shown in his goodness to us. We enjoy ourselves, our life, our world, in conjunction with our faith and confidence in God's greatness, beauty and goodness. So the discipline of celebration is enjoying God through or in connection with our life and our world. Thomas Akempis says, "...for there is nothing created so small and mean that it does not reflect the goodness of God." Charlie and I used to live in and work in the party capital of Europe, Ibiza. Every summer, San Antonio would be packed with thousands of tourists, mainly Brits, looking for a good time and a chance to celebrate. And I've never experienced an atmosphere like it. Night after night, streets filled with people partying and merrymaking. Interestingly, though, some of those who came to party ended up getting into a bit of a muddle due to too many drugs or friendship breakdown, or some of them just a kind of disappointment, um, a sense of hollowness, really. And what they thought would be the most flamboyant time in terms of having fun, it just turned out to be just not what they expected. And my reflection on this is that for many of these holidaymakers, the reason for this disappointment, was that the focus of their celebration was on themselves, enjoying whatever they wanted, as much as they wanted, in whatever way they wanted to. Instead of rejoicing the Creator and celebrating the good things He's made as a gift given, these friends worship the created, the sun setting, the drink flowing, the illusion of instant gratification. Celebration in and of itself whilst it can reflect something of God, does not necessarily move us closer to God or fill us with God. But when celebration is done in a way which is focused on or derived from the goodness of God and done in noble and wholesome form, I can think of nothing more satisfying for the soul and no clearer witness of the goodness of God. So when we consider the spiritual practice of celebration, we must know that it's not purely merrymaking, festivity, enjoyment, although it certainly contains those things. Rather, it's an honoring or remembering the goodness of God through the medium of enjoyment, thanksgiving, and experiencing the good things that God has given to us. So let's try and place this practice of celebration in some context. So historically, we Protestant Christians have not been so good at regularly celebrating our faith. The Jewish faith that Jesus was born into, however, they were pros. The people of Israel were given strict laws about celebrations. It was part of their obedience to celebrate. Celebrating the year of Jubilee is probably the one we know most about, the most well-known Israelite celebration, freeing slaves, allowing the land to rest, cancelling debts. The Israelites trusted God to provide for them and take care for them, while they took a year to celebrate His goodness to them in the form of liberty and provision. Feasting and family were a routine part of life. Sabbath itself is about resting, praying, and playing, stopping work, having time to spend with God, and enjoying the people and world that He's made for us. Today, however, like never before, we seem to have largely abandoned routine, community ritual, and personal disciplines, which is why I think for us, this series this year holds just so much promise and potential. We listen to our emotions, and we're defined, if not ruled by them. We rumble on with discontent, we're unable to stop working, we're unable to find satisfying ways to fill the free time we do have. We're deeply insecure, we're deeply worried, and we're deeply discontent. Our culture feeds off dissatisfaction. That's how advertising works. It seems hard to know how to celebrate when we don't feel like it, and when the very culture that we live in seems bent on ingratitude, dissatisfaction, and entitlement. This is the situation that we live in. So true celebrating goes against the flow. Celebration holds the promise, then, of revolutionizing our culture and our Christianity. So how do we actually practice this discipline in the nitty-gritty of life? Philippians 4, as was read. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul here is writing from prison to the Philippians when they were facing hostility from their surroundings due to their Christian faith. So the context we read these verses in is not one of comfort and ease. Both Paul and the Philippians were living in daily difficulty. Paul insists twice to rejoice in the Lord. He really means this. To choose to celebrate God and his goodness. So the first thing we can learn from this text about celebration, just by observing the context it's written in, is that it can and must be done, whether we're in the midst of suffering and struggle or living at ease. It's a choice. Lamentations 3 is also a beautiful example of this, and I love the irony that slap-bang in a book called Lamentations, we learn how to celebrate. I just think that's great. Jeremiah, who's the most likely author of the book, is writing in exile with a grieving people of Israel who've lost their homes, their livelihoods, their identity, and they believed they'd lost the presence of God. They've experienced utter devastating loss. And then we read this summons to celebration. I will remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning, great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. He doesn't mince his words here. The devastation externally and internally is immense. But the key here is in verse 21. And yet, despite this, even though this is all happening, I call to mind the Lord's great love, compassions, faithfulness, provision, and goodness. And because he does these things, what does he have? He has hope. So this passage is a brilliant picture of how to celebrate celebration in the middle of life. We don't nullify or diminish the reality of our suffering or our struggle. In fact, we name it and we own it. This is real. But we actively choose to bring to mind the goodness of God alongside our situation. We don't wait for our feelings to change. This is a discipline. We dwell, we wait for, we allow ourselves to be satisfied with the goodness of God, his character and his attributes. We allow the Holy Spirit to bring us hope, and Paul would add, peace that goes beyond our understanding, despite no promise of actual change circumstance. <coughs> Excuse me. When we're feeling like it or not, Scripture tells us to bring to mind, choose to pay attention to the goodness of God. This is how we experience hope and peace in the midst of trial. In this way, then, celebration, actively remembering the goodness of God, becomes a means of navigating the struggles of life whilst keeping close to Jesus. None of us are strangers to trouble. It's a reality of life, but only this life. For those of us who follow Jesus and trust in him, there is a life to come whereby there will be no more suffering. If I were to have a tattoo, and I might one day, I would have "Quid hoc ad eternitatum, that commonly well-known phrase, which means "What is this in light of eternity?" And it was first coined by Saint Bernard of Clavoy, and I think he was originally slightly kind of, you know, cynical in saying it. But it's become this kind of battle cry. It was the mission statement of the Jesuits. Um, when they were kind of doing their thing. This quote is not meant to be flippant, but to bring perspective. It doesn't minimize the troubles, but maximizes the eternity that we're destined for. We live in the light of eternity, and when we celebrate, we enjoy a fleeting foretaste of the eternal celebration to come. Knowing this, we're strengthened for the battles that we face. We are destined for eternal shores. We smell the sea air of heaven, in enjoying God's goodness, and we have hope. Working in the west end of Ibiza through the nights, I would look after vomiting, drugged-up individuals and take them to safety. It was very glamorous. Some nights were glorious, and some nights were devastating and really hard. Yet, each night, there was always something beautiful of God to be found in the middle of the chaos. Perhaps a friend being a good friend to someone who was ill. Perhaps just being able to look up to the stars and silently thank God that he is with me and he is in control. We all have our own versions. Nowadays for me, it's witnessing the sunrise when I've been up for hours with a small child. It's lighting a candle when we eat our tea. It's being given a new t-shirt the same day as another one goes to hold. It's a Skype with a dear friend, recounting tales of faithfulness and joy. We can find it, it is there, we just need to look for it. Celebration then is a way of anchoring us to hope, to peace, to God himself. We choose to daily give thanks for what God has revealed to us and for the goodness he's shown us. Slowly, slowly this begins to shape us. Our spirits are being trained to be attentive to where God might be at work. Our hearts are kept soft as we're daily reminded that God is good and love, despite what we may be facing. Our lives witness to the power of God at work in us. We demonstrate that we can trust Jesus and maintain a confidence in his character through the ups and downs of life. He shows himself to be trustworthy, faithful in never leaving us. When we talk about God being with us in our trials, the discipline of celebration is one of the ways that we can experience that. We seek out evidence of God at work and His goodness revealed to us, and we hold on to it. So practicing celebration becomes a way of not allowing our circumstances to corrupt our understanding of who God is. Thirdly then, celebration happens when we truly trust who God is. I think we often struggle to be thankful and to celebrate because if we're honest, deep down, we're not sure if he really is good and kind and safe. Can he really be trusted? Does he really love us? Worrying is what happens when we hold on to our cares and burdens instead of placing them in the hands of God. And why do we hold on to them? because we're unsure, unsure of what his hands may do or whether he's truly able to carry them. I think it's not often the abstract questions, for example, is God able to provide for me, which prevents us from trusting him, but more often, I suspect, a doubting of his character and love. For example, does he really love me? Does he want to meet my needs? Our anxiety, our concerns and troubles crush the life out of freedom to play, explore and take risks. They impede our ability to relax and let God be God, enjoying the life we've been given with thanks to God. Only when we trust God's character, who he is, will we be free to respond joyfully in the goodness he's shown us. Back to Philippians, Paul says, "'Do not be anxious about anything.'" But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, recognize God's goodness to you. In light of this, free yourself from the baggage of worry and guilt. He can take care of that. Because his character is trustworthy, as you've been reminded by your celebration, you can trust him with your cares, and he will give you peace. Notice here that Paul says we'll be given peace regardless of whether our prayers and requests are answered in the way that we hope for. It's not not either or. God's peace is the eye of the storm, and celebration is the way to get there. Fourthly then, celebration is about being satisfied in him. Christ is enough for me, we sing. Philippians 4:11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul here is speaking of contentment and the secret, that is, it's being in vital union with Christ that strengthens him. This is a real challenge to our consumerist mentality, when we're very rarely content in every circumstance. But if we are to celebrate, we cannot do so begrudgingly. Celebration must not be contrived, performing emotional gymnastics to be glad, even when there's devastation afoot. This is not what we're being asked to do. In no way do we want to endorse manufacturing goodness out of circumstances that are purely evil or legitimizing suffering. This is not what we're talking about. Celebration happens when we choose to trust that Jesus is good, even when the world falls apart. It's the thread that binds us to Jesus in our suffering. Ultimately, true celebration is when we are truly satisfied in God. Oswald Chambers says, Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. The greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. The one aim of the call of God is the satisfaction of God, not a call to do something for him. We can all breathe out. Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, soul and strength, not serve him. It's a subtle distinction, but it's important. Many, many years ago now, I was sat on Brighton Beach and felt God clearly say to me, I am not a mission to accomplish, but a God to enjoy. The outworking of loving God may look very missional and of service, but regular celebration helps to keep this the right way round. Is it not enough anymore to be delighted in God? We give Jesus a nod, but then move on to the important stuff of service and church gatherings and the mission. Moving back from Ibiza, I lost my friends, my home, my job, my role, my identity and purpose, a place, culture and language that I loved. It's been the biggest loss of my life. I grieved for two years, and most of that time my heart has been desiring all the things that I lost. In this process, I've been able to acknowledge God. Nothing about my beliefs in Him have changed but I've not desired Him supremely. When things that I loved in my life have been taken from me, I realize that my satisfaction was found in a smattering of places. My journey over the last two years has been about accepting the loss of what I loved so much as a means of grace, to draw me back to centering my love and satisfaction on God alone. It doesn't mean I don't miss, long for, and hope for these other aspects of life. Satisfaction in God doesn't mean losing touch with the reality of our hopes and our dreams, our regrets and our losses, but it reorders them in our hearts. Grief gradually loses its grip on me as my prodigal heart returns home to God. Celebrating who God is magnifies Him, makes Him greater in my vision, brings perspective into my circumstance. Celebrating what God has done for me reminds me of who He is and allows me to rest secure. It enables me to know peace and finally joy. The fifth and final thing to recognize about celebration, before we look at some of the practicalities, is that celebration is a means of mission. Could I have more willing volunteers? It's time for some experiential learning. Because I have someone else too uh, fabulous. take one, pass them on. This is packed full of gluten and egg and and all the things that everyone's allergic to, so apologies for that <clears throat> I'm going to carry on as these are distributed. I think we struggle to waste time enjoying God. Especially in an evangelical branch of our church, our emphasis lies on evangelism and doing a lot of church-based activities as our way of experiencing God and community, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think celebration can look and feel like time-wasting and illegitimate use of time and money compared to the serious work of spreading the good news and running the church. There's little quantifiable in terms of objectives and outcomes about celebration. But many of Jesus' metaphors about the kingdom of God contain imagery to do with feasting and banquet. Celebration again. May I suggest that being a people who celebrate models something of the person who is good news? A celebratory people regularly values and remembers Jesus, keeps his person and gifts fresh and clear in our minds, in a public, intentional way. Celebration is worship, is evangelism, is church. I can't think of many more effective ways of mediating the love of God to someone than by loving and celebrating them brilliantly well, alongside being grateful for God's goodness in a tangible way. In Ibiza, our teams used to give the seasonal workers a piece of homemade chocolate brownie every Thursday night just because we wanted to give them something as a gift, a means to be glad, just because chocolate's nice. So help yourselves, dig in. (laughs) This affectionately became known as Brownie Thursday. And I think hell would have frozen over if we'd ever come to Thursday night without volumes of brownies to give out onto the streets. Was this strictly evangelistic? No. Did this produce measurable outcomes? No. Did it become a weekly way of causing celebration, joy, gladness, and goodness for our friends and ourselves? Yes. Did it spur conversations and questions as to why we'd give out hundreds of pieces of brownie every Thursday night? Yes. If there's something that our world needs to know is that God is good, and kind, and shows us love in ways that we understand, be it chocolate brownies, a full night's sleep, or simply that our pulse is still beating. Do not underestimate you know, the impact of small goodness in people's lives. Don't underestimate that you know, for some people, that there is so little to celebrate in life, to be the bringer of a small token of celebration, you know, we would see people's faces light up. People would run out of bars and clubs to come and get a piece of chocolate brownie. It's not like they couldn't make it themselves, but for us to bring something of celebration and and we and people would say, "Why are you why are you giving me why are you giving out chocolate brownies?" God's good. We want you to taste, taste and see. We want you to know something of God's goodness, and we're gonna we're gonna. And part of that is just by giving you something nice. And God's good, he's kind, and and we can enjoy God. And, you know, this is like minds changing and and hearts opening through a simple chocolate brownie. Let us not despise the small things. There is nothing so mean and small that does not demonstrate the goodness of God, says Thomas Akempis. So finally coming into land. Practically, some celebration, some suggestions around celebration. Philippians says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, I'm going to just share some practical thoughts about. Okay, that's all well and good. So, some practical ideas. How can we just just make a start with some of this celebrating? Like a good list. So, firstly, when it comes to celebration, uh, we recognize what's been given to us from God, which by very nature will be true and honorable and just and pure and lovely, commendable, excellent and praiseworthy. Celebration isn't a free for all. We celebrate good things that come from a good God. So the content and the form, the what and the how of celebration must be in line with these things. Secondly, start watching for daily moments to celebrate and be thankful. If you look at the study guide this week, the suggestion is basically that to try and find things that we're thankful for every day. Um, it's a real, I don't know if you've tried that before. I've tried that, and sometimes it's like, oh, thank you for my tea. It's just a good discipline. The point of disciplines is not that we become experts, but that we're training. It's, it's a training, it's a picture of training, you know, and, and, and so. Yeah, it's not kind of so much about the destination of being an expert celebrator, but that as we're training in this discipline of celebration, it becomes a means of us knowing God more and better following Jesus. So um, don't be discouraged if it's tough. That's the point of discipline and practice. A while ago I read a great book by Anne Voskamp called A Thousand Gifts, I don't know, some of you may have read it, heard of her, and it's all about this very thing of choosing to be grateful, and she kind of does this writing a list of, of the gifts of God in her life despite the circumstances. I'd highly recommend it if this is something you want to look more into. <clears throat> um, Explore what celebration could look like in a more personal way or with our small groups. So maybe start small group with stories from the week where we've seen God at work. Um, we with our teams used to do communion at the start of our gatherings and we would remember Jesus, literally go around saying, Jesus was, was with me this week when this happened or that happened. And, and in a similar way, you, let's start our gatherings by saying, i seen God at work in this way in my life this week and I'm grateful for it and I'm glad. Maybe make use of the liturgical church calendar, and it, which is full of creative ideas about how to connect with God in relation to where we are in the year or the season. It's to do with colors and flavors and festival days. It's, it's a real resource. Maybe it's as simple as just stopping every day for the sunset or the sunrise and taking a moment to just give thanks for God's faithfulness. As regular as the sun rises and sets, that's how faithful our God is. He he, never changes. Maybe take the idea of a retreat day and enjoy what you do. Take a day out, a day a month, a day every couple of months, and clear the day, turn off your phone, and just spend the day with God doing whatever you want to do, whatever will point you towards Jesus and create a space for you to engage with God. So take yourself out for lunch, enjoy the goodness of God through good food or go for a walk in the countryside and whatever it's going to be to help you engage with God. Waste time communing with God. If you've got kids or family, you might try this. this. This is one that Solomon made earlier, quite a lot earlier. It's a celebration prayer chain. It's all got a bit jumbled now. But with each piece of paper, there's a different prayer that he's written to say thank you to Jesus. This was our Christmas one, which is why it looks a bit battered. And then every day you kind of add the next chain on. And it's a really great picture for kids of, you know, a picture of celebration made up of thank you prayers or even prayers of request. And finally, Sabbath Celebration is central to Sabbath keeping, to rest in God's care and to be free to enjoy the life that he's created for us. So let's aim for once a week, scheduling some fun, some laughter, a meal or a walk or whatever causes us to really experience the goodness of God and give thanks for it. I love it that from day one, God has ordained a day a week to do this. This is, this is important and good for us. So hopefully there's some practical thinking around how we might kind of get started straight away in exploring celebration.